right, so we're joined this morning by the man we turn to for all of the information on COVID-19 and uh, everything that's happening around Arkansas, the mask mandates. He is the dean of the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine at Arkansas State University. Dr. Shane Spites. Shane, I know it's uh, probably the busiest time of your life as a, as a doctor and a dean, and we appreciate the time this morning. Well, morning, Brandon and Kelly. Uh, yeah, I'll say we're busy. I mean, obviously, medical school starts back, and we just started with our first class. Uh, they started orientation last week. You start start classes this week. But there's also this whole pandemic thing going on that, uh, that is certainly keeping us all busy as well. Well, it's crazy because you've been so good to us, number one, coming on the radio. But anytime I have a question, I think Shane regrets giving me his number because I'll just send him a text. And we'll, yeah. have, this, we'll have this really long text uh, dialogue about, you know, hey, what do you think and what should we do? Because I turn to Shane for like family advice, like, hey, what should we be doing as people? And that's where I really think this value comes in. If we can share those types of conversations with a large audience across Arkansas, uh, there's a lot of value to that. But Shane, you were talking as we were coming on the air about all the presentations and the speeches that you do and the people that you're in contact with. And one of the things you said was you think there's a lot of misconceptions that people have about what's going on with the Delta variant and COVID and the vaccines. What are you seeing as kind of the misconceptions that we should let people know, hey, this might not be all the way right? Well, what I'm seeing is, and we saw some of this, you know, when the when the virus first came out, but it seems like it's, it's more prevalent now. And I just, I saw a video yesterday of some guy, I think it was like in Indiana or somewhere, they got in front of a school board. And to be honest with you, first of all, he, he wasn't uh, truthful in terms of who he was and what he did. And then he just used large, big scientific words that I guarantee you no one in the audience knew what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And so he used that and he spoke real fast and it just, um, you know, it was obvious that he, and I could sit there and pick apart, and I was like, well, that's not true, and I, and I know that's not true, and I know the study you're referring to, and that's not exact. that's not what it said at all. But nobody in the audience can dispute that. Right. But those kinds of videos get, get shared and posted and put all over the Internet, and then, you know, then I'm left, to, you know, and those of us in research and, and academic medicine are trying to refute it and saying, well, that's not true at all. And so... Um, there, I'll say this, as we look at some of that stuff, we're finding more and more there's a reason behind that. These people have some sort of financial gain or some sort of you know, political gain or something like that that they're trying to achieve. Um, I had a good conversation over the weekend with a, with a guy. Um, he's actually an epidemiologist and a, and a physician from Yale, um, and, he, and he was very pointed, uh, pointed about it. I said, well, why aren't we having more stuff out at, on, you know, on the right side? He said, Shane, this is not my day job. <laughs> he said, my day job is teaching academic medicine and teaching this and doing that. And he said, I do all this on the side to try to help my community and, and help explain things to the larger audience. And I thought, well, that, that's actually a pretty good response. I hadn't thought about that. Now, it doesn't make me feel better. Right. It just means that we need to do a better job of getting that information out there. So I come back full circle, really appreciate you guys having me on and giving me an opportunity to at least dispel some of the myths and rumors that are out there. Yeah, let's talk to the people because, you know, obviously you're when we do a show with you and then we put it up on the podcast, people uh, blow it up and there's administrators and there's people from, you know, cities that want to hear this and government and stuff like that. They want to hear what you say. But let's be honest. We know there's another side and there's going to be people who say, oh, he's a doctor and he's got a reason to be saying that. What would you say to those people who think that, you know, hey, this is a medical thing. This is a political thing. This isn't all truth. I know that what you do is look at the data, but there's going to be people who don't uh, who don't really see that side of it. What do you say to those people? So a couple of things. Number one, this is really, really complicated. 
for the most part, I mean, I, I even have to explain this to doctors sometimes who went to medical school and are board certified and, and are great in what they do. And let me give you an example. Let's say, let's say it's a doctor that they're a radiologist, which you got to be really smart to be a radiologist. Mm-hmm. And they do a really good job of what they do. They don't do this every day. And they don't have at the, their fingertips um, specialists in viruses, specialists in immunology, specialists in research. I have all those at my fingertips. Because I'm the dean of a medical school. Right. So I can pick up the phone or I can text my dean of research and say, hey, man, look at this. Make sure I'm interpreting this, this research correctly. No, no, no. Here's what this is. Here's what that means. Because it really is. It's like a whole different level of specialty you need to be able to really just peer review or understand these articles. And in terms of me personally, I mean, I don't mind saying this. I get paid to be a medical school dean. Right. That's my job. <laughs> my job is to be a medical school dean and get physicians graduated to practice medicine in our region of the country and hopefully stay here and make healthcare better. I don't get paid as the medical director of Jonesboro or the Cricket County health officer. Those are things I do on a volunteer basis because I feel like it's the right thing to do for the community. And ethically and morally, I can't just sit back and listen to all this stuff get propagated that I know is actually not factual. Right. But man, so many people who, you know, they believe what uh, they've heard or what they've read and, um, that's what's so great about having you where we can come to you and say, okay, what are we seeing with the data? So let's go through and break down current data across Arkansas. We'll break it down specifically to Northeast Arkansas in a minute, but across the state of Arkansas, the vaccination rate, even though we're getting people vaccinated every day at a higher rate, we're still relatively low. Yeah, we're um, so right now the state of Arkansas is about 38% fully vaccinated. Um, and to be honest with you, though we're getting thousands of people vaccinated every day, we knew that it was going to take a lot to move that needle. So 38% vaccinated, you know, we're kind of in the middle of this Delta surge right now, and the vaccine takes a while to work. Now, does it mean you shouldn't get vaccinated? No, not at all, because this Delta variant's not really going anywhere anytime soon. So you need to protect yourself and protect those around you. So we are doing better. We are seeing more vaccinations, but it's just because it's such a large number of people that are unvaccinated, yeah. it's going to take a while to really see that. Why do you think there's people who, even though, you know, we'll have the information out, there's campaigns across television and radio telling people to get vaccinated. And we see the stories of people who get real sick. Why do you think there are people out there who still choose not to get vaccinated? You know, that's really complicated, too. And really, you almost have to sit down. What I've had to do just myself is sit down with individuals or even small groups and go through and explain to them, because maybe they've heard something that isn't true, something about, oh, it causes infertility, mm-hmm. or, oh, it, um, there's a microchip there, or, oh, it's got you know this foreign substance in it that makes you magnetic. And I have to, it takes a lot of time, but I sit down and go through that and say, okay, here's where that myth started. This is what they thought. This is the real evidence. This is the real information. This is really how your body works. This is really what's in the vaccine. And none of the other was true. But it takes a while to sit and explain that. Mm-hmm. I try to do some of that with Facebook posts, but even that, you know, I mean, it's a Facebook post. Um, it's not me sitting in front of somebody and being able to engage and have, have kind of a Q&A. I find the question and answer um, opportunities are actually better for most people. And that seems to change opinions because then it's explained to them. Um, you know, you don't learn this stuff in high school, to be honest with you. And so it's kind of hard for people because you got to kind of start at a level that you understand basic human physiology and, and then and basic pharmacology, your basic understanding of medications. Um, and so, like I said, that can be, that can take a lot. It can be frustrating. So people, they don't know where to, where to go. And so they end up seeing a YouTube video. Right. Dr. Shane Spites is on with us talking COVID in Arkansas. 
We talked about the state. What are we looking like in the the northeast part of the state? Are we sitting at around the the state average of around thirty eight percent? Are we better than that? Are we worse than that? Or how does that look? Yeah. So for for um, northeast Arkansas, we're actually we're worse than that. I mean, I'll just for Craighead County, for example, if you look at the current data there, we're about twenty nine percent vaccinated in Craighead County. So about twenty nine percent are fully vaccinated. What bothers me most, obviously, that number bothers me. But when you look at individuals 65 and older, um, that number is only like 56 percent. Wow. And so that's really worrisome because those are the individuals, even with the Delta variant. I mean, we talk about young people being affected by it, but still, by and large, older individuals are at the highest risk of hospitalization and death. And to have a low vaccination rate like that in the older population is very concerning. It's weird because I do see more people in masks, but let's just say, you know, um, I had to make a quick store run yesterday and I was wearing one of the N95s, which I'm going to brag on the fact that, um, you know, like I've had different masks that probably really weren't all that great. They were a mask, but they probably weren't the right kind of protection. The N95 mask that I was able to wear was so much more breathable than some of the cloth ones that I had. And I realize now I probably wasn't protecting myself fully with those other masks. Well, so, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Let me clear up a few things on the masks. First of all, we've been following this data. We followed throughout the pandemic. Masks work. End of discussion, masks work. Now, let's talk about the type of mask, because that also matters. So, you know, mask in general, that's a broad topic. There's three different types of masks that we talk about when we say masks work. The N95 masks that you referred to, those work the best. And they were, they were, they are the superior product to prevent you from getting sick or from getting COVID or passing to someone else. The next level down is the surgical mask. And that's what you see a lot of people in the hospital wearing in terms of what you see in the operating room, just the, the general surgical mask. Right. The layer below it has the cloth mask. Now, when we say a cloth mask, we specifically are talking about a three-layer, 70-30 blend cloth mask. Mm-hmm. So three layers to it. It's got to have three layers to it and 70-30 blend, and that's the cloth mask. It offers the least amount of protection. Does it mean it doesn't protect you? No, it does protect you. It just offers the least amount of protection from like a percentage-wise. The highest percent coverage is the N95. And thankfully, as you mentioned, they're actually coming out with N95 masks that are much more comfortable, much more breathable, mm-hmm. easier to wear. Um, and so I'm happy to see that, too. So as we as we talk about the masks, I was looking at some the other day. We're walking through a store, uh, a sporting goods place. And as I was doing that, I, was, I picked up a couple of the masks that kind of looked cooler. You know, I'm thinking I'm hosting A-State football soon. We'll be doing all these A-State events. I want to have a mask that kind of looks cool. But when you pick up some of those, and I didn't pay attention to it early in the pandemic, they'll sit there and basically say these are not medical masks. They're basically telling you on the packaging that uh, these shouldn't be used in situations like that. Yet we still buy them because we're not even paying attention to the words that are written right in front of us. Yeah, and this, and again, it kind of goes back to the buyer beware. You've got to kind of know what you're looking for because there's, I mean, I hate to say this, there are certainly people making money off of, you know, the things during this pandemic. Um, and, and that would be an, a, an example of that. So you've got to kind of do your homework to make sure that it's something that truly will protect you or your family. Speaking of family, school goes back. For some people, it's already back. Marion, Arkansas, obviously we've seen what's happened in Marion with uh, people having to be quarantined and COVID cases. For some people, school goes back next week. There's a ton of anxious parents, and we're we're hearing different schools that are coming back, and some schools are saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and be out front with this and say that everybody has to wear a mask, both staff and the students. Uh, What do you say to those parents who are about to send their kids to school, kids who are unable to be vaccinated because they're under the age of 12? 
what can you say to them um, as far as, I don't know if I want to say to ease their minds, but how should they be processing this, this process of getting the kids back in school? So I'm glad you brought that up, dude. Let's talk about that. First of all, the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics are very clear that all students, staff, and faculty for K-12 should have masks on. Mm-hmm. Whether you're vaccinated or not, you should be wearing a mask. And I want to say right now, I applaud all of the school districts in our region and across the state who have stepped up and said, we're going to require masks of all of our students, staff, and faculty. Right. The reason why, and people need to realize this, this is not the same virus you dealt with last year. Right. This is a completely different virus. It is far, far more contagious. You're going to have far more people get sick. You're going to have far more kids get sick. That's not a scare tactic. That is the data. That is what we have seen in other countries. That's what we are seeing in other states. That's what we've already seen in one of our own school districts in the state, which you already alluded to, the Marion School District, with 900 in quarantine, 49 students infected, and nine teachers or nine staff that were infected. And I think they were only in for like a week, a week and a half. Parents need to understand your schools are doing the best they can to protect your kids. I promise you, they have nothing but your children's best interest at heart. There will be infections in your school district. There will probably be lots of infections. There will be lots of quarantine in your school district. It's going to be rough. It's one of those things where we just have to get through it because at the end of the day, it is far better for these kids to be in class, in-person learning than doing virtual learning. And and the CDC has said that. The American Academy of Pediatrics has said that. I completely agree with that. Um, I'm not saying that all virtual platforms are bad. I'm not saying that, that there's not a use for them in certain circumstances. But we should do everything we can to have our kids in class with our teachers. But we have to recognize this is a highly infectious disease. And when you put 20, 25 kids in a class with a teacher in a closed, confined space, and some of them are sick, you're going to have a lot of kids get sick. That's just going to be the nature of the beast. So the things that we need to do are what we call mitigation efforts. What are the things we can do to slow the spread? Things like mask wearing, hand hygiene, uh, the fogging of rooms. Um, At the end of the day, that helps a lot. Um, Trying to keep, keep groups separate. So don't go mixing a lot of classes together where you're spreading the virus from class to class to class. And there's the other things that you can do to mitigate the high flow efficiency air filters that go into the the air conditioning systems. Those help. So these are all different layers of protection. And I know I've used this with you before. It's like driving the car and wearing your seatbelt and airbags and, you know, driving the speed limit. These are all things that keep you safe. Not one individual thing is going to be a hundred percent, but when you do a layered approach, that's how that's how you ensure safety amongst our schools. So some of the school districts that have come out and said, "Hey, we're going to go ahead and require the mask." There are other school districts that haven't made the decision yet. And as I look at that, I'm kind of sitting here thinking, um, you know, probably there's superintendents, there's there's uh, you know councils and boards that are thinking to themselves, "We don't want to make the decision because there's the idea that we could make some people mad, maybe some people who donate to the school." Uh, And they're probably waiting for the state to come down and tell us, hey, no, everybody has to do it. Are we at a point where we're about to see that? Or is the state going to say, hey, we're going to leave this up to the discretion of each individual school district? You know, the governor's been clear that he's not uh, for a statewide mask mandate. And and to be honest, I can see exactly where he's coming from on that. Uh, I really do. I think our schools are different. I think that's a different environment. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, individual private institutions can do what they want different um, uh, private businesses. At the medical school, you're going to wear a mask. In our medical school, you're going to wear a mask. You're wearing an N95 mask, whether you're a student, staff, or visitor. And we require all of our students to be vaccinated. 
it allows us to continue medical school. We can't stop medical school. You can't stop the generation of physicians being created because we need them so badly. It is very important that we don't stop medical school. So we had to do that. But I realized that public institutions don't have that opportunity. So again, I applaud those that have stepped forward and done that. I don't know that you're going to see something come from the state. It probably should, though, because it's almost a pass in the buck. Yeah. And it's falling on these, these school districts to try to make these decisions. And you're right. This ends up now, all of a sudden, you're, you're meshing politics with medical facts and, and proven science. Right. That's never a good idea. And so I think that I, I do feel bad that the school districts and the, and the school boards are having to make those decisions. Um, but if some, you know what? And I've said this before. Sometimes, you know, what's right is not popular, and sometimes what's popular is not right. Right. And so I think this is really where leadership comes in. And, and it's hard to be a leader sometimes, certainly when, you know, when you know what's right, but maybe, you know, the, the consensus isn't happy with it. Dr. Shane Spites on talking COVID in Arkansas. Uh, let's talk about, because we're still staying on, on the idea of school and kids and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, so there's going to be people who say, oh, my gosh, if even if I got COVID, I'm relatively healthy. I think I'm healthy. Uh, this is going to affect me more like the flu or the stomach bug. Are we seeing that? I, I know we do see headlines about people who who pass away. We've experienced that firsthand in our family, uh, unfortunately. We see stories on young children who are affected. But then we hear the data, well, that's still, it's, it's rare that that happens. Um, is this worse than the flu or a stomach bug that we might see go through school in the fall? And, and, and how is it worse? You know, it, it is worse. And I'm actually, I'm going to, what I'm going to do, I'm glad you, and remind me of this, text me and remind me, I'm going to send you a slide that you can put up for your viewers so they can see this. That, that sometimes the picture is kind of worth a thousand words. And it's a, it's, a, it's a diagram that shows the coronavirus and specifically the Delta variant compared to, you know, the influenza, the common cold, um, RSV, the SARS virus, Ebola, and kind of on this graph on terms of how deadly it is and how rapidly it spreads. And so, this Delta variant, unfortunately, spreads much more rapidly than the common cold or even influenza. It's as contagious as chickenpox okay. from the latest data we have. In terms of deadly, the Delta virus, based on three studies that we've seen from three different countries, appears to have a higher hospitalization rate over the old, the old strain of COVID that we had last year. Right. Now, it is true, and I want to be clear about this truth. By and large, kids that get sick with COVID will do fine. They're going to be sick. They're not going to feel good. But by and large, they will do fine. Where the uh, What changes is, is because it's so contagious, you're going to have so many more kids get sick that just by the law of statistics and just by percentage, you'll have more kids hospitalized. And unfortunately, you will have children die from this. And we will have more of those than we had last year. It's not because this virus attacks children specifically. It's just based on the raw numbers of people that are going to be getting infected because this is such a contagious variant. So let's break it down because, you know, again, I have an 11 year old who can't be vaccinated. So, you know, we're sitting here going, oh my gosh, we hear the numbers. And he even has said, because we told him with the original version of COVID that we dealt with last year, hey, if kids get sick, they really, you know, it's not that bad. Uh, but then we do see data. There's, you know, two children who have died in this state. There's three children who have died in this state. And even though those numbers are rare to those parents, that was the most important child in their life. Um, so, no, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. so here we sit as parents. How do we need to process the information? Because, you know, Kai again is going to say, hey, if I got it, I'd be okay, Dad. And here I am going, okay, yeah, that's right, because I don't want to scare them. But at the same point, you know, we see those those deals. What is causing some children not to make it? What is causing some kids to need to be in ICU and then causing others to maybe pass away? 
So some of that we do have the answer to, some of it we don't. And I guess what I mean by that is some of it, it wouldn't surprise you if the child has some sort of underlying disorder, some sort of, uh, they were born with some sort of um, uh, diagnosis or some sort of disease that they struggle with. That wouldn't surprise you that those children are going to have a harder time with a virus like this. What is surprising is that's only about half of the kids. About half of the other kids seem to be otherwise normal from what we can tell. Again, we're still early in this. Remember, this Delta surge has really just hit us in the last few weeks. So we're still collecting data to really see that. We're getting some data out of Louisiana for sure um, on this, and we'll know more about that once it comes out. But there are some questions about, okay, this kid seemed normal and healthy. Why are they in the hospital? Um, And we don't have answers to that yet. And I think that's why it's not a it's not black and white. It's not a yes or no. It's uh you know yes you could get sick from this. It's not likely that you'll be in the hospital. We would hope that wouldn't happen. That's why it's important for you to wear your mask. That's why it's important for you to wash your hands. That's why it's important for us to. I'm sorry we can't go to this you know event with you know 500 people because right. somebody could be infected and we want to protect you. And so it's all these different layers and these different discussions you have. I, I mean, it's no different in my house. I'm going to tell you, Brandon, I've got a 10-year-old who asks every night and prays when the vaccine is going to be available to him. Right. What does that look That's like? Is, prayer at night. Yeah. What, what does that look like for us? Because, again, Kai turns 12 uh, in September. So we're a little more than a month away from his birthday. Then he's eligible to get the vaccine. But uh, is right. it going to be available? Let's say you have a 9-year-old, right? Or like you said, you have a 10-year-old. Yeah. Are we seeing that that's going to yeah. move in that direction? The current data, from and right now, the company that's going to put it out is Pfizer because they've been ahead of the curve in most cases. And they have a vaccine for ages 5 to 11 that we expect them to go to the FDA for authorization in September. And hopefully it will be approved and be out by the end of September, 1st of October at the latest. So right now, that's what everybody's watching. That is the front runner. Pfizer is, and they've been, and um, I try not to play favorites, but they have been the ones that have, have produced the most data, have been the most transparent, and have been ahead of the curve in terms of a lot of these the vaccine rollout. Let's talk about the number of people who are hospitalized, because I see that across the state there's very few ICU rooms available, uh, and we're still seeing data that shows that the majority of people who end up being hospitalized are people who are unvaccinated. Yeah, that's exactly right. So then that statistic, I expect that to change a little bit, and I'll explain to you in a second why that is. But we're probably 90, 95% of the hospitalizations are unvaccinated people. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about total admissions across the state of Arkansas, ADH is saying now about 1,400 positive admissions at total uh, 511 admissions to the ICU. I saw the same thing you did, I guess, about a day or two ago. We were um, only on eight ICU beds in the state. What people need to realize, these aren't eight ICU beds for COVID. We have to have ICU beds for car accidents, strokes, heart attacks, people with bypass surgery. That's just eight. That's just wow. regular ICU beds. It's not just for COVID patients. Uh, we have all the regular things that happen in our daily lives that we need ICU and hospital beds for. And that's why COVID is such a big impact on the system. Um, what was the other question you asked me? You asked me? <laughs> no, I'm just sitting here, you know, looking at this and, and thinking about the vaccination rates and how that truly does affect so much. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that, that's what I was going to say. You're exact. So what's going to happen is right now we're seeing 90 to 95% of the patients in the hospital are unvaccinated. You can expect that number. This is going to sound strange. It may go down a little bit. What I mean by that is we're probably going to see a bump in vaccinated individuals being hospitalized. And here's why. When you have such a low vaccination rate, 
you've got people that are vaccinated, but they're going to come in contact with people who are not vaccinated and sick more commonly. And so, like, like I said, Craighead County, we're here, we're hitting about 29%. In areas where there's high vaccination rate, the likelihood of you running into somebody on the street that's sick and unvaccinated is low. But because I roll the dice every time I run into somebody who may or may not have COVID and not know it, then, you know, it basically challenges my immune system each time I run into them. And so at some point, I may get sick with it, which then turns around again. It just becomes a numbers game in terms of the percentage. But right now, by and large, all the data shows, yes, uh, overwhelming majority plus in the hospital are unvaccinated people. Dr. Shane Spites on with this. A uh, couple more questions, and then again, we know this goes long, but uh, you know we appreciate the help and the information. Uh, vaccinated people, and uh, let's say somebody's vaccinated, and and I guess I'll break it down because here's why I'm thinking this. Uh, number one, I was talking to you about you know Kelly and I. We both did uh, vacation time, um, and because of that, you know we're like, oh my gosh, let's make sure that we're safe. We kept her at home for a couple of days. She'll go get tested just to make sure that we're both good and, uh, and COVID-free, right? Uh, but like in the building, I've hung up some signs on our studio door. Don't come in the room unless you're wearing your mask. For whatever reason, most people believe that doesn't apply to them, right? They're, they don't have COVID. They feel <laughs> fine today. What are the chances of, of one of my vaccinated coworkers walking into the room and, and giving COVID? Maybe they're asymptomatic. What's the chance that they're vaccinated, they give me COVID, and I'm vaccinated as well? Do we see that? Is All it possible right. for the asymptomatic yeah. vaccinated vaccinated? Yeah, actually, we do. And let me, and I, that, speaking of a graph, I can send you that graph too. This is the latest research to come out. I actually had my, I talked about it earlier. My dean of research sent me this. I hadn't seen it until he sent it to me. So, individuals that are unvaccinated obviously are high risk of infection. But individuals that are vaccinated, they can still get sick. And we call that a breakthrough infection. Right. So, the question we had is well, okay, I'm fully vaccinated and I get sick. Am I shedding the virus? Can I make somebody else sick? The answer is, for the first five days, yes. For the first five days, a vaccinated person can spread the virus as much, sometimes more, than an unvaccinated person. Now, it's pretty much the same, but by and large, vaccinated and unvaccinated people are going to shed the virus about the same amount for the first five days. Now, once day five hits, the vaccinated person, the the amount of virus they have in their body drops off significantly. And the unvaccinated person still continues to shed. As a matter of fact, the data shows that an unvaccinated person who gets infected with the Delta variant, they can continue to spread that virus day 14, day 18, day 20, day 25. It's crazy, uh, the data we're seeing now in terms of how well they, how much they can continue to spread it. By and large, people that are vaccinated, they stop shedding the virus. They stop spreading it about day five. It drops off significantly. So the answer is yes. That's why it's important for people to wear a mask, because as you're vaccinated, the idea behind it and what we're seeing is you have very mild symptoms. Right. It may just be a runny nose. It may just be a mild headache or, you know, I just don't feel well. You could be spreading the virus unknowingly. So it's, that's why it's important for mask wearing for everybody, uh, certainly for the vaccinated until they get tested. And that's what I mean, it's wild because I believe most people go under the mindset of oh, I feel fine today mm-hmm. and this mm-hmm. doesn't apply to me. Uh, a couple more things. And then uh, I'm a fan of Joe Rogan. I was watching a thing on his podcast the other day where he was saying that, uh, you know, we worry about mutations of viruses and that if this uh, vaccine, the current vaccines can't kill uh, the strain of covid that we have right now, the idea is, is this strain will try to mutate and become even even more um, harmful potentially. Is that something we see in science? Is that something that's legit, that if this vaccine can't stop it all the way, 
that we have the chance that this could get even worse with a different variant? So, again, it's not an all or none. It's not that black and white. And what you're talking about is what we call vaccine efficacy, which means how effective is the vaccine at preventing either symptomatic disease, severe disease, or death. And that's kind of how we quantify it. And so you bring up a good point. These vaccines came out, you know, over a year ago. You know, that's when they were being tested and everything. So these vaccines have been out for over a year. And they were formulated based on the original strain of COVID. Now, when they were formulated, though, they, they formulated that for basically what's called the entire spike protein on the COVID-19 virus. So even though there's mutations that have occurred on that, that, that protein, the virus is still effective. Now, it may not be as effective as it was against the original strain, but it's still effective. And so Pfizer actually produced a study. They looked at six months after um, the second shot, how effective was the vaccine? Well, it was about 84% effective at preventing symptomatic disease, which is still really good. But it's 97% effective at preventing hospitalizations or severe disease. That's really awesome because at the end of the day, that's what you want. I'm okay if I got a little head cold or maybe I don't feel good. I don't want to be in the hospital and I don't want to be on the ventilator. And that's what the vaccines continue to do and continue to show um, efficacy of. So when you talk about mutations, yes, we are seeing mutations in the virus. Fortunately, the vaccines continue to provide that protection. Um, and so I think that's a good thing. Will we see different formulations of the vaccine in the coming probably months and years? Yeah, I believe they'll tweak it to make sure that it covers everything uh, that's floating around out there. But if we can lower the spread, and remember where these variants come from, these variants come from large spread across a, a, a large, large population because it's a genetic change when it jumps from person to person. So when you have thousands or millions of people get sick, you're going to have variants come out of that just because of the way the the genetics of a virus works. So if we can slow the spread, we will slow the variants that are created. So you followed data from around the entire world, and I read a deal the other day that was talking about how, uh, you know, a lot of what we're seeing in the U.S. we've seen in, let's say, the U.K. as well. Um, And are, are we looking at a trajectory of when this is going to at least slow down? I know it's probably not possible to say, Hey, it's about to end, but are we about to see the spike? Is the spike going to come two weeks after school starts? What does that look like? Great question too. And you're right. There's so many factors that go into it. It's hard to look at that other data and say, this is exactly how it's going to work for us. But if we look at India, India is really where the the Delta variant started for them. They peaked at about six weeks. So they, they peaked at about six weeks and they had about a six week decline. Um, and then their baseline spread was higher than it was before they went in there. When you look at the U.K., the U.K. was about the same as well. It was about six weeks. And then they now they've still kind of bumped up and down. Uh, they're still kind of higher than they probably should be. But it's starting to kind of move down. The caveat is in India, they went into lockdown like they went into lockdown. And so, you know, of course, we're not going to do that. And so we're probably going to expect our peak will be a little longer than what we saw over in India. And in UK, that, the UK is probably more similar. They had restrictions in place as well, and we didn't really have any restrictions in place. So we can expect it will probably take a little longer. As a matter of fact, six weeks for us would have been about a week ago, and so we're still going up. The other wild card, you've already mentioned it, is, well, what happens when we bring all these kids back together and everybody under the age of 12 can't even be vaccinated? What's going to happen then? Well, we're going to have more spread. Mm-hmm. You're going to have more virus, and they're going to bring it home, and they're going to infect family members. And so certainly we don't expect numbers to drop significantly um, over the next few weeks when school starts. And so I think that's why it's important to prepare 
not only, you know, school districts and parents, but communities for the fact that you're probably going to see more spread over the coming weeks as schools go back in session. Well, yeah, and there, with school comes sports and activities and things that people are kind of trying to ramp up for and get ready for. And we're going to have to wait until we get a little bit closer to see what those are going to look like because there's a good chance that stuff might change too. Yeah, and that's and I know that's frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating, you know, on, on our part too. On the medical school, you try to plan things. And we had, I mean, you know, we had planned for, we have a white coat ceremony where all of our first year students go through this formal ceremony. We typically have it on the A-State campus you know, at the Fowler Center, you know, their families come. We had that planned up until about a month ago. I mean, everybody was going to be in person. And then, we, you know, the cases were going up and everything was shifting. I was watching the data. I was like, there's no way we can do this in person. So we had to do it virtually. Now, it was still a nice ceremony. We did it over Zoom. Um, you know, under the circumstances, it was fine. But we had to make that rapid shift over a few-week period and say, look, this is a major event that we have to, we can't have this way. Um, and I think, unfortunately, and I know people are tired of that, and I'm tired of it, too. That's where we're going to be, certainly, for the next uh, few weeks or probably the next couple of months until we can see when we're coming down the backside of our peak from this Delta variant. He is the dean of the NYIT College of Osteopathic Medicine. He is Dr. Shane Spites. And, again, as he explained to us, he gets uh, – you know, his job is to be the dean. It's not to necessarily come on here and spend 40 minutes on the radio, but – Again, every time we talk to you, you answer so many questions that we have, so many questions that the listeners have, and and we appreciate the time, and uh, there's going to be a lot of parents who are going to want to hear this, uh, and we're going to share this on all the podcast platforms. So if you just got to the point where you heard just the end of this, there's a whole lot of meat to the bo- on the bone with this interview with Shane Spites. And Dr. Spites, we appreciate your time as always. Brandon, appreciate you and Kelly as well. Again, it's always Always a pleasure to talk to you guys, and hopefully, like I say, get some good information out there. So thank you for what you're doing. All right, man. Have a great day. You too. This is Arkansas's Morning Show. Brandon Baxter in the morning.